Hello and welcome to the latest Fraser of Allender podcast. My name is Emma Congreve and I'm an economist at the Fraser working on issues around poverty, inequality and inclusive growth. Today we're going to talk about the impacts on businesses as they move closer to the period where they will start to reopen in Scotland. Alongside this, we are edging towards the ending of full support um, from government for the furlough scheme. And a lot of businesses are going to be facing really tough decisions on whether or indeed how they can restart. Added to that, we also have a labour force facing a lot of uncertainty and indeed a lot of unresolved issues relating to how and where they can work, particularly those with children and those who feel they will be particularly vulnerable to the coronavirus. This isn't the first time we've talked through some of these issues, but much remains uncertain and it's definitely worth revisiting. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Alan Thornborough, Scotland Director at Business in the Community. Welcome, Alan. Thank you. So thank you for joining us today. And uh, just before we start, do you want to uh, give a quick introduction to Business in the Community and the work that goes on in Scotland? Thanks, Emma. I'm delighted to be here. So uh, Business in the Community is nearly 40 years old. Um, and uh, somewhat timely, born out of race riots of the early 80s. And obviously, we're seeing such a uh, play out of, um, again, still high race inequality uh, around the US, the UK, uh, and more broadly. And really, the, I guess the fundamental purpose of BIC's founding was about bringing businesses as a force for good much closer to communities and much closer to some of the structural issues where actually we have a real role to play. Um, so we've made, I feel, great progress in lots of areas, but as we're seeing just in these last you know, few days, if not weeks and months, uh, there remains much to be done. Um, so very broadly, we're about 700 or so major corporates around the UK. We've um, got colleagues up and down the country, and our role really, uh, Emma, is to challenge and support businesses on a continuous journey of improvement. Mm, so you've got a key role just at the moment. Indeed. Yeah, so... I mean, we don't need to, to go over how unprecedented the situation is right now, but now we're starting to look a little bit forward and we've seen in England more businesses start to reopen and it won't be long before Scotland um, is following the same path. But obviously for businesses, there is a lot to think about in terms of how they balance issues around public health, their viability of their own business and the needs of their workers. So can you talk a bit about some of what you're hearing about um, those issues and how businesses are, are trying to come to terms with these things? Yeah, sure. Um, and probably best to wind back a little bit. So just in the kind of early days, probably of this crisis, um, we found again, you know, 80% broadly speaking service economy, a lot of businesses were very quick to um, enable colleagues to work from home, particularly in the finance and you know professional services fields, and that seemed to happen really quite rapidly. Um, what came to the fore was employee well-being. So we found quite a lot of demand for the work that we do on um, really support of line managers, um, but you know workers really at all different levels on actually you know challenging and um, a lot of the different. I suppose, um, issues that have come to the fore. So whether it be homeschooling, whether it be caring, um, whether, you know, there's multiple people trying to work in the same space, perhaps you don't even have the you know, luxury to do that. 
Um, so really that was, what I think, one of the early things that came to the, the sort of fore for a lot of businesses um, and hasn't changed. But I think as we've settled into more of a sustainable rhythm, if you like, um, businesses have begun to look outward much more so. Um, so that it feels like there's been a bit of a, a sort of flow of immediate, you know, what can be done with whom, where, um, and prioritizing well-being, but much more focused now on to what extent we're going to be able to sort of restart and recover. Mm-hmm. Um, which sectors? What does that mean for different businesses? What, I guess, protocols will they have to deploy if you're perhaps in, you know, transport, retail or whatever? Um, and what does that mean for the sort of um, services you'll run? Um, so it's been, I think, albeit a good couple of months or so, I'm not sure we're much further forward as, a, as an economy, if you like, on a lot of these issues. I think it still remains quite early days. Um, and there feels like there's quite a lot to unpack over the coming weeks, especially as you know restrictions begin to ease. Mm. I mean, one of the key things that obviously um, any parent will know that um, with the schools on the whole um, closed um, and only a limited amount of students going in, the ability to be able to even work from home full time is, is challenging but to, to be able to, to leave the home to go to a physical workplace, you know, will be out of the question for, for many parents or at least one parent in every household. Um, and from the government, both UK and Scotland, we uh, obviously know that they, they understand it's an issue. Um, and there's a lot of talk about hoping and um, willing employees to be flexible um, and sympathetic to these kind of issues. But how does that kind of, work in, in reality, I suppose. I mean, this is going to be a big constraint um, for businesses thinking about how to get their, um, you know, their workplaces up and running again in particular. Yeah. Well, indeed, and I'm not sure that's something that's high enough priority at this point. So it, it feels like, in a, I mean, even at a very personal level, uh, in our household, we've got two um, children that are secondary school age and one at primary. Um, and they've all, again, I think overwhelmingly been really resilient in terms of how they've adapted to this and, you know, arguably so for the schools and the leadership and the local authorities um, has been really strong as well. But um, this isn't sustainable. And, you know, we're, we're neither able to, you know, feel like we're doing a good job as parents um, from uh, an education perspective or as employees, actually from a workplace point of view. So um, I, I think I'm quite fortunate my employer's pretty understanding and recognize that we can do some of each thing um, to the best of our abilities. But if we're going to really get back to work to some extent as um, we did in the past, we need more sustainable solutions because that, that doesn't feel like we, you know, we'll be able to come back on stream in any meaningful way when actually there's such a huge responsibility, both in you know, caring for uh, and educating uh, young people that you, you know, simply can't do offside of desk. So mm. um, I think it, it's something I'm, I've not heard as much debate and discussion around as we might have done. Um, just at a practical level, again, it's quite close to home, but our kids uh, attend the school in Borders that unfortunately uh, was subject to quite a significant fire in the early part of this uh, year and last part of last year and at the time the schools came back quite quickly um, but across multiple locations like church halls and town halls and various other things 
far from ideal, but it did ensure some continuity of learning. Um, and I just wonder, I've not heard as much as I, th I thought I might about what does the kind of immediate uh, and even medium term prospect for schooling look like? Um, so I think that's something that I, I, I'm certainly hoping that we at business community and you know other businesses and stakeholders are, are hopefully closer to uh, and more engaged in with policymakers and uh, you know, educators as well. Mm. And I know that your organisation is very aware of issues around um, equality and some of the structural barriers that exist um, within the labour market and, you know, um, for, for employers. And, and we know from some of the evidence so far that although um, both when in two parent households, there is clearly sharing of responsibility for childcare and such like the surveys we've seen do tend to point to it being uh, mothers who are taking on disproportionately yeah. more of the responsibilities. And of course, we already have an issue with um, female participation and the gender pay gap in the economy. And it feels um, very likely that we're going to, you know, be taking steps back on this if, if, ch if children um, aren't, you know, being cared for outside the house. And, and I guess there's only so much employers can do in that situation. Um, you know, so they will, they will be wanting people to come back to work, but if people can't, then there's not a lot that employers can do. Yeah, we did a piece of work, probably going back a couple of years now, <clears throat> excuse me, called Equal Lives. And it was really trying to unpick some of the structural sort of causes of inequality at work. And, you know, a lot of that was, as you just rightly outlined, you know, the, the balance of caring falling, you know, overwhelmingly to uh, women. Um, and at the time, I think there was quite a lot of support, interestingly, from the population that we spoke to of employers in Scotland with employees that said, um, you know, from a male worker point of view, they, would, they, would, they wanted to be far more involved. Um, and I was really struck by a briefing we did where a male colleague said, you know, but wouldn't that mean, you know, I might, I might limit my career opportunities um, in a room of, um, female colleagues you can imagine that didn't go so well so um yeah so i think you're absolutely right and sadly it's it's exactly what we're seeing as well as we we risk taking you know significant steps backwards um and that, i think that's something we we are really concerned about at this point mm. and in terms of um you know the businesses that you work with what kind of um support are they looking for um obviously the government up here um has you know issued guidance and such like in order to try and help um employees think through some of the issues they're facing but what kind of support um do businesses want and and you know and how confident are they that they can sort of get back to something closer to normality um than, than we have had over the past couple of months Gosh, great question. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm best place to answer it. <laughs> um, there is such a, a, a wealth of different sectors and you know geographies to factor into that. Um, so many businesses are you know such huge multinationals are coming back on stream at different speeds in different um, localities. Um, I suppose all of that's quite particular to the sectors that are operating and to the work they're doing. And indeed, to the responsibilities of employees, as we just talked about. So if that means that you have caring responsibilities for younger or um, older family members or otherwise, 
Um, that's a key factor in what you can and can't do um, and what sort of supports might be in place there. Um, I have to say, I don't have any particularly deep insight into what you know employers are calling for or clamoring for, if you will. I think there's an awful lot of still thinking through, well, what does this mean? Um, and in what priority and sequence are things coming back on stream um, and what does that you know, mean from a consumer point of view? Just because we open, for example, retail, are we going to see people still stay away or is there an encouragement to rush back? And again, if we want to do anything close to building that better, do we want to encourage sort of rampant consumerism straight away? Um, I'm getting off topic, but I guess the point being, you know, the, um, the, the sort of the sequence of events is, albeit there's a route map and things in Scotland, um, I think there's still quite a lot to establish about that and um, quite a lot for employers to think through depending on their sector and what it is they uh, can and can't do and the employee base that they rely upon. Yeah, so I mean, it's clearly a route map doesn't, you know, is never going to answer all the questions and our economic system is very messy and supply chains and locations and all sorts just mean that it's very hard well, you can imagine it's very hard for an individual employer to actually be able yeah. to understand you know where they where they stand in all of this i think, I think that if, if i may and i think that's probably the key thing is that there's there is such a wealth of information uh overload at this point um it is really hard to cut through and establish what does this mean for me um and that I, I would probably argue that the easier that is and the more accessible that is the better whether that's by you know, sector geography or a combination of all of the above, um, something that makes it a little easier to cut through and find out, well, what actions can I take? And what sort of preparations and, you know, sequence return um, might then follow. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, as ever, you know, information is uh, widely available, but um, the ability to make decisions with the, the information that's pertinent to you is not always as widely available. Mm -hmm. Okay, so just thinking about sort of the things that employers can do and, and have been doing, as you outlined a little bit at the start. So, I mean, has this, the crisis opened up new opportunities, for example, for, you know, for working um, at home where previously it wasn't thought that it was really possible? And will mm -hmm. businesses want to carry on working in this way? You know, is it going to, is it, is it a new normal or, or is there a feeling like we just need to get people back in so we can just go back to the way things were before? So what's interesting is I think as I began, um, well-being being something that really came to the fore very quickly and then more thinking through about well, to what extent, you know, is this going to continue for a period of days or weeks or now months? Um, but what has, I, I think, come you know, much higher up the priority list is the sense of whether we call it building back better or, you know, otherwise, um, the sense that what sort of normal do we want to return to? Um, and some of the questions we've been asking about, um, for example, circular economy um, before this crisis were very much about sustainable materials and working practices in, say, an office environment. Um, the questions are more around now, um, do we need that office environment? Now, I'm not suggesting employers are going to just suddenly um, divest themselves of lots of property, but nonetheless, it does beg the fundamental question, what's the purpose of that um, particular building and who needs to be there? 
as we've seen, there's been very, very few, especially in sort of some of the service sectors I talked about, there's been very, very few people that have really needed to be in a physical locality. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm going from sort of global investment banks right down to much smaller organisations. Um, so there is a big question mark about to what extent folks will return. Um, but the other things that I think have been very prevalent are the, you know, bit cliche but the work-life balance elements of being at home yes there's lots of um challenges around you know schooling education caring responsibilities but there are quite a lot of positive um benefits as well that folks have been um highlighting both in our research and even at a you know a local level as an employer ourselves around more um thinking time um less wasted time in commuting. Obviously, you know, the carbon benefits have been substantial, but um, remain a fraction of what we need to do more broadly. Um, but nonetheless, looking at it in the round, I think there's a, a really, you know, quite an encouraging discussion emerging about what do we want to return to? Um, and what does that mean for uh, workers up and down the country? So, I mean, we've even been talking recently about the concept of the circular home office rather than circular office so you know even thinking about most folks on dining room tables kitchen tables sofas wherever they can grab a bit of workspace you know if we're going to be working from home for a much longer part of our lives what does that look like and how do we you know equip people properly um yeah there's i think quite a lot of uh, that is quite a live discussion at the moment but nonetheless quite um, quite encouraging um, not without the caveats we've mentioned about how do you balance not the multiple priorities um, when it's your your home as well. Mm. And and there may be some you know well we we can imagine that for the for the next few months at least um, working from home will be encouraged even if some workplaces yeah. that you know in the service sector as you say um, who, who don't necessarily need people in in a physical workplace but there will be I'm sure some kind of you know, gradual, gradual kind of um, re-emergence of, of office spaces as, as places that people want and need to go. But there are going to be people, and as I mentioned right at the start, that, you know, there are people that are going to be um, very wary about um, leaving the house, particularly using public transport yeah. and going and mixing in a, in a physical workspace because of um, potential, you know, they have underlying illnesses. They may not be shielded, but but they know yeah. that they're more susceptible to the coronavirus. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's still a very scary illness. Um, and so there's going to be, you know, a need to kind of keep uh, the economy moving, so to speak. Um, yeah. but, but the fact that we, we, we are in this decade where we've got technology that allows us to, um, to work like this, you know, um, it's, it's definitely an opportunity for, for many um, the, the flip side, I suppose, is um, we don't quite understand, you know, what the productivity implications are always. Um, yeah. And there are people that will really struggle, particularly people living alone, I imagine, mm. who find it really tough working from home and not seeing physically um, seeing people day yeah. in, day out. Yeah. So there's yeah. two sides, isn't there, to every story? <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Now, again, it's something that's come through quite a lot in some of our work as well. Um, and, you know, obviously a much broader need for social connection, um, which doesn't quite translate on Zoom, good as it is, or Teams or uh, whatever your vehicle of choice is. Um, I, I know a lot will 
notwithstanding all of what you've said, still want to begin to sort of interact with other groups again. So let's let's um, move on and talk. You, you've mentioned the the new mm. buzzword a few times, so build back better. Um, yes. And of course, you know this is um, a time to pause and think as as much as um, you know trying to adapt. We, it does also give um, people a chance to to reflect on what went before and whether we do want to return to um, the same sort of business as usual and the same kind of form of economy. Now things don't just change, um, you know, automatically. We could just quite easily revert back to the way things were before, you know, if say a vaccine is found or effective treatments are found. So th there does have to be this thought about the sort of practical ways in which, um, you know, we can move to an economy that is is more inclusive and that, um, you know, sort of helps reduce inequalities and the harms that, that the economic system we have at the moment can sometimes throw up for example you know in work poverty being a huge issue facing Scotland and the wider UK mm -hmm. so I'd be really interested to hear some of your thoughts on on what that means particularly for for businesses and how um, policy has a role potentially in some of that um, and I suppose what we are really thinking about is how you know you make this real rather than kind of high level concepts so so it's, it's it's it makes it much harder but it makes it much more real if you can um think about it in those kind of practical terms hmm. um yeah again another uh wide-ranging question that uh I, again you're right it's it's whether it is build back better or some other um some other phrase there is an awful lot of talk but again there's been quite a lot of talk um with the greatest respect around inclusive growth around sustainable development for years now um but as you say if if that if that results in frameworks and um you know sort of methodologies uh and doesn't ever get to action then nothing changes and i think that's the thing that um again we're really mindful about it at the moment one of the things that i didn't mention that uh, had been quite a big factor in employee or employers i suppose being closer to communities was hearing the real needs of communities through this crisis and being um in some way able to support and service those needs um, across the country we set up something called the national business response network uh, and it wasn't to cut across others or to cut across the public service or um, voluntary sector organisations, but where there were, let's say, you know, issues around um, uh, food, uh, logistics, whatever it might have been, it'd be really heartening to see so many employers be of service in their communities. And I think what, and the reason I mentioned that is what that has flagged up is a much clearer understanding of some of the issues that you know real communities face from you know as you say you know structural inequality um you know food poverty and things you know of that nature that just had probably been far lower um or or, or sort of more unseen if you will for a lot of employers mm -hmm. quite what the sustainable future of that looks like i don't know yet um i think what we have witnessed so far is a lot of really 
great intent around surplus goods and things making their way to folks in need. So whether that is technology, again, lots of young people uh, are being encouraged to learn online. That assumes they've got the equipment to do so. Um, and not exclusively for young people, but lots of businesses have, you know, sort of come to service with, um, you know, repackaged IT equipment and things that might be of use. But that, again, is, is you know, <laughs> well-intended, but doesn't get to what, what drives that. And I suppose it's sort of in the spirit of something we're doing for a number of years now is trying to flag some of these um, uh, issues to really senior business leaders to start to see that actually they can have an impact in their organizations. I suppose for me, where does this go? Well, you know, unless that's reflected in policies around employment um, and again, improving uh, pathways into work, improving, you know, training, retraining programs and these sorts of things, you know, we still have a massive job of work to do to meet, you know, our commitments from climate change. Um, and the last uh, sort of document I read, and I may get the numbers wrong, I think the improvements we were seeing in, you know, carbon emissions uh, reduction was about a quarter of what we need every day between now and 2030. So even with virtually no, you know, airlines, uh, traffic on roads and everything else, we have an enormous way to go. But what we can't do is exacerbate, you know, all of the issues that are already, sadly, um, alive in our society. So what we are trying to do is work with businesses on practical ways where we can understand and help and challenge them on how do frameworks like the Global Goals or a national performance framework, how do you make it real? So how can you make an impact in your organization? You may not be able to take action on everything, um, but you could do something. And what, what is that? And, how, and what are the ways we can help you get there quicker either by signposting to other businesses or connecting you to organizations that have uh, perhaps done the same. And equally to working, I think, with partner organizations like yourself to have a far better understanding of what does the evidence and insight tell us? Because that, again, has been something that um, I feel has been much more prevalent through this crisis as well. Um, although, albeit there is you know, a degree of information overload, um, there feels like a far better and deeper awareness of the inequalities that we, um, we, we see and we have seen you know, like yourselves for a long time, but the appreciation of that feels much deeper than before. Um, and again, not to trivialize what's been happening um, from a racial inequality perspective, but the response has been you know, really significant um, as it ought to be. And I would like to think that would be the case, whatever the conditions, but um, it does feel like there is potentially something that has shifted in you know, the sort of psyche, if you like, around um, probably seeing issues and um, inequalities, if you will, particularly that you, you knew little about before, but now have come much higher up um, in, in your sort of line of sight. And what can you do about that both personally where we've got colleagues that have been on job retention scheme. Um, what can you do about that collectively as an employer in terms of hiring, retention, skills development, et cetera? Um, and what can we do as a collective in, you know, in terms of how we're sort of uh, quote unquote building back better? Um, so I, I think there's quite a lot in that, but what I'm, I'm encouraged by is the, is the deepening of connection and understanding with communities. Um, 
and a real appreciation and understanding beyond just, and please don't take this the wrong way as an economist, beyond, you know, hard statistics, which are essential to, you know, real folks and their livelihoods and the places in which they live and work that um, ha perhaps have more voice and visibility than they might have done in times gone by. Mm -hmm. um, and of that, I think we all have a responsibility to agitate for, um, for real change. Because, you know, again, it was mentioned, I think, with, um, without getting political in an uh, announcement about a recent commission, um, we don't need more commissions, we need more action. And we need more people to step up and say, here's what I'm willing to do. Um, and that's very much the nature of our work. That's really, really interesting. Thank you. And I wonder whether um, it is because, as you say, some of these issues are a bit closer to home for a lot of people now. There are many more people who are worried about the future of their, of their job. People that have been put on furlough or no people have been put on furlough. Suddenly it kind of, yeah, it's, a, it's much closer to home and, and for employers as well. I mean, I don't think any employer will have ever faced anything quite like this before. So it does, it, it does give that natural kind of break, I suppose, in the system um, and that kind of thought about, so also where do we go from here? Yeah. Yeah, so in terms of what um, the role of, of government in this, so, I mean, what would be your, your kind of, your key, key ask of, of policymakers? I mean, is it in terms of um, reskilling of labour force and kind of getting, getting to grips with that? Or, you know, I mean, I'm talking across governments here, I suppose, you know, is it, is it things to kind of um, make life easier for, for um, businesses or, or to boost demand? So obviously these are, um, nobody has quite the right answer, but um, where do you feel the kind of balance of, of government support should be heading? And, and I guess thinking about the future of the, of the furlough scheme, this is it's quite pertinent just now in terms of thinking yeah. about the future support for uh, for people looks like in a in a very uncertain economy going forward yeah um well i suppose I'll, I'll maybe start with some of what i observed coming into this role about three years ago was um i remember attending a conference on inclusive growth and hearing from you know oecd imf world economic forum and many other you know sort of eminent um, speakers about the characteristics of scotland and the fact that broadly speaking, um, we were fairly well aligned from a sort of business, political, you know, civil society perspective in terms of some of our aspirations around, you know, being a more inclusive, um, uh, fair and sustainable nation. Um, and I think while all of that has held up, uh, what I always have felt is that there's perhaps been something of a missed opportunity, really hardwire that into policy. So how do we take something like NPF and, you know, really use the opportunity that is therein to drive spending decisions that promote um, well-being, um, promote equality and promote sustainability as their sort of, you know, as their core drivers, if you will, and the, the, therefore the kind of the decisions that flow downstream are um, always taking that into account, not as something that you do after the fact, but something that you start with and that's your basic premise. And therefore, um, I think it opens up an opportunity for a very different relationship between employers and other parts of the economy, civil society, you know, voluntary sector and others as well, um, where it is truly mission-led. Um, 
And I'm not sure, I always felt um, over sort of recent months and years, that there, was a, there was a few different conversations at, food, you know, at play. So there was a, almost a sort of an aspirational policy, um, uh, this business of sort of corporate responsibility, uh, you know, and that has moved on significantly since its early days. Um, and, and the two sort of, you know, broadly moving in tandem, but not truly hand in glove. And I feel uh, there, is, there is a moment in time to seize that. Um, and again, I, I would say we've got, a, a, you know, a, a pretty significant imperative around net zero. Um, and this year of COP, as it will be, uh, well, next year rather, um, we have got the opportunity to really start to model and pilot things that could make a real difference and could put, you know, a, a sustainable transition right at the top of the agenda. Um, we're in a, such a unique space. I, I feel, just as you say, if, if, it, if it is almost too easy to revert to type, that's, I think that's what will happen um, with no special insight or qualifications. Um, that's purely a hunch, but uh, nonetheless, it's easier to do um, what you've always done than do something quite difficult and unknown. Um, and it does feel like now um, there could be a real sort of purpose and mission that is truly jointly owned. Um, we wouldn't be the first to do so, but we're of a size and scale as an economy where it could be impactful. Mm -hmm. um, and when I speak to a lot of the actors and organisations involved in the planning around COP, I hear that loud and clear. And equally from a kind of devolved government point of view is we, we don't want to be on a platform in November 21 saying we must do and we will launch. We want to have looked back and said, here's all the things we achieved. Um, and yes, there's much more to come, but we took real action in pursuit of a shared mission. Um, I know it sounds aspirational, but I, I feel a lot of the drivers are there. I think a lot of the political will is there. And, you know, again, I commend that. Um, but I think a lot of, uh, you know, businesses we speak to are very much up for that challenge. And much like we began with in terms of um, what our business is calling for, it's almost incumbent on us to say this is, this is what's needed of you. Um, and not to be too directive about it, but you know what I mean? It's, there's something about trying to cut through, well, what is my role and what actually can I materially do? And I think that the closer we can get to that, both in terms of immediate supports and, you know, uh, I suppose policy moves for businesses, um, but much more broadly around sort of being mission driven and really focused on, you know, what we could do collectively, the easier it is to see and what is my role and how does it fit with, you know, a, a proper collaborative. Um, I'm not sure we've really ever got there. And I think we have such a golden opportunity to do that, despite the hideous circumstances of, you know, this virus. Um, I would just really hate to see that not taken up. Um, and I think that's one of the things that we're particularly eager to work for uh, and work in service of, whether we call it, you know, a well-being economy, whether we call it build back better, whether we call it inclusive growth, sustainable development, the core premise is never going to be achieved if we see it as um, sort of us and them or, you know, this is what we need in order to get back to normal. It, it just doesn't work anymore. Um, and I think there's a lot, actually, incidentally. So Edelman's uh, Trust Barometer published not that long ago. Um, and they found, uh, no, this was 
quite early lockdown, but they found quite a big bounce in um, the trust of governments again. And again, you might argue a lot of that was quite directive behaviour around this is what we expect of you. Um, what they didn't find um, particularly significant was trust in chief executives in business. And actually, some of the findings, which are quite extensive in terms of the sample size, some of the findings spoke to businesses being absent in the crisis. We know that isn't the case because we've worked really closely with hundreds of them. Um, but nevertheless, therein lies a challenge about what's the purpose and mission of business. Um, and is that explicit enough? And do the public trust you? Um, and if they don't, I would argue, again, coming back to um, findings from our recent um, Responsible Business uh, uh, Tracker Insights, purpose and trust are things that businesses have generally made pretty good traction on. Um, but there's an awful long way to go on much more structural issues around inequality and around climate change. And I think that's where uh, it will be won or lost for organisations. Yeah, thank you for that. That's really interesting. And it, and it, you know, businesses are part of, of our society, as you say, yeah. and they are, they are, um, you know, made up of people making decisions. So this isn't, um, you know, this isn't an abstract thing we're talking about. And I think that's, you know, businesses aren't some other, <laughs> they are, no, yeah. um, they are, they are of us. Um, and I suppose it's just about how, um, how best, uh, society and government and and I think difficult decisions do have to be taken just like difficult very difficult decisions have had to be taken mm -hmm. to help tackle um, the pandemic you know you might um, not there might not always be popular decisions but I suppose there is a big um, there's a there's a big role for helping all to understand um, the magnitude of of um, issues like climate change um, and how you know they will erode everything <laughs> that we that we have if they're not uh, addressed. And as you say, if we're not going to do it now, um, when will we do it? Indeed. So on that very cheerful note, um, I'm going to say thank you very much to Alan. Um, that's been a really uh, interesting and uh, wide-ranging uh, conversation. And thank you for um, dealing with my questions. <laughs> um, so. I hope you will join us again for another um, podcast. You can find all our content online at fraserofallender.org and our podcasts are available on most of the major streaming services. So thank you again and see you soon.